how do you price an ad on your channel? That's probably the most common question we get from other creators. And it was the biggest question we had when we first started on YouTube. So we're hosting a live workshop on how to price yourself. This is everything that we've learned in the past 13 years of being on YouTube and our simple three-step process that'll help you develop concrete pricing. So if you wanna join us for this live session, just go to colinandsamir.com slash live. Enter your email and you'll get all the information about our live event on May 9th. All right, hope you enjoy this episode of The Colin and Samir Show. Welcome to The Colin and Samir Show. This week, we are answering your questions from Reddit. We're talking about how much you should charge as an upstart video editor. We're also talking about if smaller creators can take a break and reacting to Jake Paul's new media company. We also talk about YouTube boxing in general and whether it's kind of over. If you're new here, I'm Samir. I'm Colin. And we've been making videos together for the past 10 years. On this show, we not only answer your questions, but talk about the latest in the creator economy, as well as interview some of the key players in this industry. So if you're not new here and you've been enjoying the show, if you could review our show, that would be great. Other than that, we'll get right into the show and tell you why Colin and I are not in the same room right now. All right, let's get into it. Right, man we are whoa whoa dog on the show all right well now you know i'm recording from home <laughs> all right we are not in new york colin which is where we were supposed to be uh right literally right now at this exact time we were supposed to be at dylan lemay's ice cream shop in new york city that is correct we were supposed to go to a samsung event after that and then we were going to go to greenville to spend some time with mr beast and make a video there but instead, I am at home and you are at the office because I got COVID. Man, what a bummer. It was wild because we were going to fly. We had a flight at six in the morning and at I think 10 o'clock you called. Yeah. And you were like, well, you sent a text. And well, I called, missed call. Yeah. Then I texted you and the text yeah. was like, hey, man, call me. Yeah. Which yeah. is never good. Yeah. I had some light symptoms a couple days leading up and then... Kind of hit me all at once, took a test, and there it was. Listen, we don't need a full diagnosis here, man, but um, yeah. that's the reality. We're just not on our trip. It's a bummer. Uh, we were going to go and shoot something with Mr. Beast around our million subscriber special, uh, which now maybe we need some new ideas for uh, because it feels like we're growing at a faster pace than we've grown in the past. We're at like 900,000 subscribers last week. We're at 953,000 this week. So there's a high likelihood that we'll pass a million uh, next week, which is pretty wild. How's it feel? It feels like I got COVID. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm hot. I'm sweaty. I'm a little tired. I got, you know, I can't focus, but yeah. You know, at least we can still record this show. So a lot has happened this week. Uh, Besides that, you know, one of the first things that kind of piqued my interest before we get into the questions that you guys sent on Reddit, one of the first things that piqued my interest over the past seven days has been the, the vast array of cancellations in the YouTube boxing world. And it almost feels like just so messy. So for context, KSI was going to fight Alex Wasabi, canceled. Jake Paul was going to fight Tommy Fury, then Haseem Rockman Jr., both canceled. That was supposed to be at Madison Square Garden. This is not like a small event. Um, Austin McBroom was supposed to fight Anison Gibb, canceled. 
Like this is a lot of, uh, this feels like the unraveling of, of this YouTube boxing world. It may be the death of YouTube boxing because it's all about building trust, right? Fans of YouTube yeah. boxing, I don't think necessarily care that it's the best boxing in the world. They're not even boxing fans. But if you're going to put on a show and you're going to have a product, you got to put it on. You got to like actually be there, right? And develop that consistency so you can grow fans over time. If too many of these events get canceled, no one can latch on to the storylines. And that was the best part about quote unquote YouTube boxing was that the creators who get involved are better at storytelling why they should be fighting each other, mm -hmm. the stakes. And now it just seems like they keep canceling. So it's like a facade, right? It, you don't really believe it anymore and you can't even tune in even if you wanted to. I think on that note, one of the biggest challenges there is, you know, you build up all this hype around Jake and Tommy and you build like authenticity around why they want to fight each other and why you should care. And then all of a sudden it switches to Haseem Rockman Jr. And now you're like, okay, actually the story is that Jake was sparring this guy and it wasn't, they got into it during that. And so that's why they hate each other and you should watch. And similar to KSI Alex Wasabi, like that was like, oh, interesting. These guys hate each other. You build it in promo, build it, build it, build it. And then all of a sudden now he's fighting a rapper that he had a feature with named Swarms. And do you know what his honest, like outward marketing reason why he's fighting him is? No idea. He said, cause he was three hours late to their music video shoot. You like, they're trying to find reasons yeah. for you to care, right? Like, and it's, it's, it's very challenging to build a brand new narrative at two weeks notice. And I think the main problem here is that the internet moves too quickly for excuses. Yeah. And this goes back to all types of content. You know, when we spoke with Rhett and Link, which is an episode that will be coming out later, they talk about how they never put out that tweet that said, video's not going to come up tomorrow. Yeah. And the reality is like the internet is moves too quickly for you to even make that announcement. Yeah. Like everyone's already moved on. So you've got all these YouTube boxing events that have just become uh, a bunch of excuses for why they're not happening, but that's not good content. And so I think that's where they risk losing a hold of their relevancy and, you know, people end up moving on. Fans move on. And I think that, that kind of, you know, brings us to our first question, which is from Alex the Grape. Great name, Alex the Grape. This is from Reddit. He said, should a small creator, less than 10K subs, take breaks? I know as big creators, it's super important to take breaks, uh, to relax and not be overwhelmed. As a small creator, I know you should also take small breaks, but we all know what happens when you miss a week or don't post. I'm wondering if you should work extra hours to put videos together that then you can hit upload on your break, or maybe if you're growing fast, you shouldn't. By all means, stop. I'm just curious what Colin and Smear have to say about this and what they recommend to all small creators. My honest opinion when you're a small creator uh, and you're trying to like find yourself is to upload as frequently as possible. And a lot of that is I think because I think you should create as frequently as possible. I think about it as like you're in a store at when every upload is a different outfit that you're trying on to see which one fits. Because when you're, when you're growing and you're under 10K subs, you actually don't even know what your format is yet. You don't know what your voice is yet. You don't know who you are on YouTube. And I think you actually need that frequency to solve that. And so I think f you have to decide on a format that you can do with a high frequency. Maybe that's short form vertical. Maybe it's just YouTube shorts to start. 
But no matter what, in my opinion, it's it's a lot more challenging to take long extended breaks when you're just starting out um, because you need that pace of creation and that feedback from the audience to find your voice. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's all about finding a format that allows you to fail quickly, allows you to learn from those failures and, and move on. So I think, yeah, it, if you feel like you are burning out and you do have less than 10,000 subscribers, I agree with Samir. It is about finding that format that doesn't really hold you back and you can continue to just put a lot of tries out into the world. Yeah. And if it does, if it really feels when you're at that stage that maybe you're, you're burning out, maybe evaluate the, you know, the, the whole prospect, because I would say, you know, even for us as we're, we're very big proponents of taking breaks. Um, but we've, you know, we've taken a two week break, um, from the channel over the past two weeks and it feels really uncomfortable to me to be honest. Mm -hmm. It feels super uncomfortable. And I think like this pace, when I think about it in the future, I'm not positive that we can operate on the pace that we had thought about, which was maybe we go two weeks off, three weeks on, you know, two weeks off, three weeks on. I'm not positive I'm ready for something like that. I think we're still at a, at a stage where I want to actually, rather than explore the breaks, reevaluate the, the process and explore, like you and I have been talking about, like a more, a, a friction, reducing the friction in the process to try and get uploads out more frequently. I still feel like we're in the growth phase of establishing our voice, our presence on YouTube and long extended breaks, you know, to what you just said, the internet moves so fast that it's challenging when you take, you know, long extended breaks. I also find that it's more enjoyable as creators if we can make something that doesn't take two weeks or three weeks if we can put something out every week, then we can have a real conversation with the audience in real time. You know, a ton of our viewership yeah. right now comes from our back catalog of people who are searching on YouTube. And there, there are tons of views that do come from search. But there's something so unique about feeling like you're, you're watching a creator, you could leave a comment, you can have impact, and you're viewing their narrative change from week to week. Like, mm -hmm. I enjoy that as an audience member, and yeah. I want to give that to our audience as well. It's just, we need to find an even lower lift format to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I think, um, there's such a balance because there's times also where we put out something fast and, you know, more raw and you and I, I think as like filmmakers and people who love editing, look at it and we're like, ah, that's not like, that's not our craft. And then it's evaluating what is the craft of, of being a YouTube creator? Is it the connection? Is it the style? Is it the post-production? you know, what is it? Is it our dynamic? And I think that's still something that with every upload we're evaluating and figuring out. So I would say if you're under 10K subs, it's not to say like you can't, you shouldn't take breaks. As a human being, you should take breaks. But I think you should try and find a format that's low lift enough to, to increase that frequency. By the way, on this note of YouTube boxing, Jake Paul also announced a brand new company this week called Better. Now, what this is, is a sports media company. It's meant to kind of bring a more modern take on the sports media landscape, coverage of sports in a more socially dynamic way, you know, via TikTok, YouTube, podcasts. Now, alongside the media component is also a sports betting component where they'll be doing micro betting, which is actually something I used to do with my friends back in the day. It'd be like, someone watching this pod and saying, how many times is Samir going to say, um, I bet he's going to say 300 
you know? Feels like a dangerous path to go down. But you, I mean, like, at least with me and my friends, we'd bet, like, I'll buy you a sandwich if the next commercial is for a vacuum. Like, it was, like, okay, well, funny If sandwiches funny are on the line, I, I'm interested. Yeah. That's fine. Anyhow, when I listened to Jake Paul's pitch, which he put into a YouTube video, first of all, this is a reasonable company for Jake Paul to start. Like, as we mentioned, his frequency when it comes to boxing and his career as a boxer, I think, is getting more and more challenging for him right now. And like this line of sight of, can you do this for the next five years? Maybe not. So you have to launch something. He raised $50 million. And I think the first thing I thought after I finished the video was, I think this is Barstool Sports. But is that a problem? Is there not room potentially for a slightly even gnarlier, messier Barstool Sports? Because when Barstool Sports started, they were a lot messier and had a lot more like loose ends yeah. than they do now. They're much more of, of a real media company now. And you can tell like it's it's not the same Barstool Sports. And it's only natural that like, you know, as as Barstool is for a certain demographic, some people will want more or there'll be a younger sure. demographic, right? Like MTV won't stay on top forever, right? Like they didn't. Hey, I mean, there was a time where I thought Instagram was on top. Like Instagram could do right. no wrong, right? And then like even so. Snap came along and it was like, ooh, Snap's actually a little bit more interesting. And then TikTok came along. And it was like, ooh, TikTok's more interesting. And now like out of nowhere, Be Reels comes there on and you're like, ooh, Be Real is kind of interesting. So yeah, I, I don't disagree. Maybe it's not a problem. Yeah, all I'm saying is if, if you're that person out there who who feels that Barstool is not, yeah. is too soft for you, I guess, or something sure. like that. Sure. And maybe Jake Paul's uh, better is what you need. Personally, I'm sticking with ESPN. You know, I like the guys nice. on ESPN. I like listening to classic. ESPN. I would say I, I I can't even really speak authentically to where I get my sports, but I would say Twitter and Instagram when things come across my feed. Okay, my favorite part of his uh, pitch video is he's talking about he's like we raised from some of the most sophisticated investors in the world, and he starts naming like sophisticated VC funds, and then in the middle is Travis Scott. And I think that's just like incredible uh, in the pitch where he's like, Lex. Yeah. He's like, he's like, you know, these massive VC funds, these like, uh, you know, high end investors and then smacked in the middle is Travis Scott. Uh, I thought that was like incredible. Anyway, if you haven't watched it, give it a watch. Let us know what you think. Like, is it, is it interesting? Is it not interesting? I guess we'll have to see in the execution. I feel like Jake Paul's probably launched one too many companies at this point. All right. Now, Second question. This comes from Dean Casper. He said, when are we going to see Hayden Hillier Smith on the show? If there's one YouTuber I've been surprised they haven't interviewed yet, it's HHS. I love that there's a little acronym for him, especially since he recently quoted CNS in his latest video. Is this purely a distance problem? Uh, Definitely not a distance problem because he's in LA as well. I've spent a lot of time with Hayden. Hayden sent me a very wonderful text earlier this week. Uh, on my birthday. I love Hayden. I've actually talked to him about scheduling and getting him on the pod. Would love to do something with Hayden. I think he has a really unique lens on storytelling on YouTube and one of the most unique perspectives as someone who is crafting the brand of Logan Paul from the beginning on YouTube. We made a video on our second channel breaking down one of Mr. Beast's videos, like sort of second by second. Yeah. About the tactics that he uses. And that's not something we always, it's actually just not something we really do on our main channel is like take a specific video and really chop it up like that. And that's what Hayden's really good at. It would be great to do a collaboration with Hayden on perhaps a Logan Paul video he made or or another type of edit 
and break it down with him about like what makes it so great. Yeah, that would be really fun. I think Hayden has a great perspective. Uh, would love to have him on. I think it's just comes down to scheduling. We'll figure it out. We'll find a time. It's good to know that you guys want him on. Speaking of yeah. your birthday, Samir, which you just brought up. Yeah. Last time on the show, we had a wager <laughs> out in the world that if your brother That's true. at the birthday party said pineapple to you, he would get $1,000. I thought about kind of sending him a DM about it just to tip him off. And then I said, no, let's keep this authentic. And correct me if I'm wrong, but he did not say pineapple. Uh, no, he did not say pineapple. He did yeah. not. Yeah. So maybe I'm, I'm going to extend it. I'll extend it through the end of August. Let's just say anytime in August. Okay. Anytime in August. Yeah, I'll extend it. I will extend it. All right. We should acknowledge the gripe that the Reddit has with us. So our last episode covered Andrew Schultz and the story about him self-releasing his new comedy special. If you haven't listened to that episode or our full interview with him, check that out. They're both on the feed. Um, but there was a gripe from our community, Colin. Oh, I saw it, Samir. I saw the gripe. There was a gripe. And it's kind of, it's reasonable, but I think it actually references something that even Andrew said in our last episode. So this is it. It's posted by the mod, which is awesome. I love that. No robot yet. One of our mods, he said streamers versus streaming services. Just listen to the latest pod talking about Andrew Schultz and how he distributed his comedy special. But I got a gripe with it. Every time they say that he sold it to a streamer, I'm thinking they're talking about a Twitch streamer. And I was like, wait, Andrew sold it to Anthem content creators? I don't know what that means. Not in this context, streamer means streaming service. Anyway, I'm the only one with this gripe. So yeah, that is really interesting to me. Similar to what Schultz said on our show when he said he asked one of his nephews to put on the NFL and they were like, oh, what, what channel is it on? And he was like, NBC. And they were like, I don't know what channel that is or ABC or whatever it was. And he was yeah. like, oh, it's over. It's so interesting that like the context of streamer which is a relatively new term in entertainment on the internet has more power as a Twitch streamer or a gamer than it does as Netflix, Hulu, YouTube TV. Yeah. To be honest, I never really thought about that. For me, streamer, I, I guess, is so much more attached to like, you know, Netflix, Hulu's, HBO Max's of the world. But I, I guess people would probably assume that you and I would associate it with Twitch streamers first, like live streamers. Yeah. Speaking of streamers, did you see Ludwig post the Mr. Beast video last week? Yeah. So if you're unfamiliar with this, you know, Ludwig was in North Carolina. He filmed a video with Mr. Beast that was going to go on the main channel. And when it came down to it, Jimmy just didn't like the edit. So he ended up gifting it to Ludwig to put on his channel, which is something I didn't even know you could do. I didn't even know that was an option. They made that arrangement on The Yard, which is a podcast that we have beef with. But they made that arrangement on The Yard and decided that the video was going to go up on Ludwig's channel. When Ludwig uploaded it, it became the number one trending video that day, and it's his most popular video ever. Uh, but it's super interesting. It's literally Ludwig introduces it, and he's like, hey, this is the situation. And then he just plays a Mr. Beast video on his channel. It was like one of the most interesting things to think about this like world of distribution across other channels. I don't know. I don't know if I'm overthinking that, that that's like a future, but I thought it was really interesting to see that you could take a Mr. Beast video, distribute it on Ludwig's channel and becomes the number one, you know, trending video on YouTube. Is this something that exists in podcasting where you like go across someone's RSS feed and you distribute one of your episodes? on their RSS. So, sometimes it happens where you distribute like a new show on your RSS feed to promote it, right? Yeah. So it's like, it's possible that that's what YouTube channels become. Maybe. 
I thought it was pretty funny to see though. I was like, it was a great narrative and very funny story that it was like Ludwig stole Mr. Beast video Reed, uh, who's going to be on the show next week. Mr. Beast manager. He posted on LinkedIn about it. And it was so funny. One of the comments was like, Hey, shouldn't, uh, shouldn't the guy get sued if he stole the video? Mm. <laughs> I think people took it a little bit too seriously, but it was a really funny bit and like a great way to promote the video. All right. This comes from kind podcaster one on the Reddit. He said, how do I find good video editors? And this is actually part of uh, two questions that we got on the Reddit about editors. So we're going to read them uh, and just talk about editors for a little bit. So how do I find good video editors? I'm relatively new to YouTube and I love making videos, but I hate editing them. I've been trying to find good freelance video editors that understand how YouTube works, but I haven't had any luck. Most people that are really good charge too much and the people I can afford are not that good. I also don't have time to learn how to edit videos on my own. Please help. Creator support needed. Wow. Interesting problems there. Yeah, that's difficult. I mean, for me, I'm always aware of the editors that are out in the world, but they're generally creators themselves too. Like I could list off, right? Like Sam Dawson, great editor. Chris, who works Mm -hmm. for us. I remember watching his videos and being like, hey, he's a great editor. Yeah. Uh, I showed a creator to you last week and said, this guy is a great editor. Mm-hmm. But they're also creators in their own right. Yeah. And I would definitely be interested in having people like that, you know, work for us. But that's not always an option. It, it is one of those landscapes that is difficult. Like there, there really is no place where we can say, go right here and you can find yourself an editor. It's a seamless process. It'll work out very well. There needs to be a place for editors who are down to be editors to announce that they're down to be editors. And what I mean by that is like, yeah, explain what, that. What, you, what, what you just said is really interesting that if you're really good at video editing right now, y- you might, your first thought might be, can I become a creator? Because that is the, that is the coding of this industry, right? Like back when Facebook and, and all these and Google and everything like programmers were the people that everyone needed and still need for that, for the tech industry, for software, for apps, you need programmers to write code. And when it comes to YouTube to increase your output, to produce more videos, to get more videos out, you need editors. But similar to Facebook, similar to some of the best, you know, sites that are out there, Reddit, a lot of the founders started as the coders. And I think that's necessary in YouTube where I think you actually need to learn how to edit your videos first. I think you need to know what it takes to edit a video. I think you need to have that sense of how to instruct someone on how to edit. You know, even with you and I, or me specifically, who maybe I won't be in the edits. I'm not typically in any of our our edits, but with our editors, I at least know the language because I cut for years, right? I even studied it in college. Like I, I was a video editor by trade. Um, and so I think knowing video editing is crucial. Even if you're not gonna be the long-term editor of your channel, knowing it is crucial. And now to what I said before about editors who are down to be editors, again, like if there's a pool of people who are like, hey, I just want to edit. I don't want to be a creator. Like I'm down to just work with you on your stuff because editing is a really hard job. So I would say a good editor is going to be expensive. Like it's not, it's not an easy job. So I think that's an important thing, but I would, I would urge you to first learn how to edit. So if you can find an editor who's committed to it, but maybe their skill level isn't up yet, you can work with them and teach them how to edit like you or how to edit in the way that you want it to look. I think you have to do that. And the thing that we've learned is that you can't expect 
an editor to come on board and be up and running in like the first week. That's, that's an unrealistic thing to expect. You should really hire and expect to train and give yourself a couple months. So you have to then organize yourself in a way to say, I like this person's personality. I think they're a good culture fit. I think they have a lot of energy towards editing and, and being on my team. And so I'm going to bring them on and I have enough room for the next six, eight weeks to evaluate them. And I know that's how a lot of creators right now, like Eric or Mr. Beast, they're, they're bringing in editors and working with them for a period of time before hiring them full time. Yeah, this may exist, but I would love to see a, a platform or potentially just more information out in the world about how to work quickly with an editor remotely. Like it yeah. would be great because footage and files are so heavy and like tough to transfer and things like that. It would be amazing if there was a platform that someone could like easily connect and get up and running mm -hmm. to start editing some of your videos, like, or at least like a test video on. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, you know, I think, I think this is the bottleneck for most creators, uh, small or big. It's, it's finding good editors who, you know, you can trust. Post-production is the bottleneck for our industry. So we'll see how that gets solved. Maybe it's the the podcast industry that comes over people who are really good at, at cutting tape and cutting conversation that comes over to YouTube. Maybe it's, you know, traditional Hollywood editors who come over, or maybe there's a culture that builds people like Mac, you know, who edits for Eric, who's, who's also featured in the videos or Tommy who edits with yes theory, who's also featured in the videos, you know, and those guys, all the editors are featured in videos, which is great. So you get this hybrid of creator editor and maybe that's the future. Okay, here's another similar question that goes hand in hand from the Reddit. How much should I charge as a beginner editor? It reads, I recently started my own YouTube channel and have found myself spending hours and hours editing. It's fun. I've never edited in my life, but I put so much time and effort to learn and improve that I quickly began to edit pretty nicely. I have a friend who has 500,000 subs on YouTube and 7 million followers on TikTok, and he wants me to edit his short vertical videos he honestly sucks at editing. <laughs> kind of a slam Hell yeah. in the Colin and Samir Reddit. Love that. So I'm very confident that I'll do a good job. I've never edited for anyone and would love some feedback on that. Thanks. All right. So short vertical videos. The creator sucks. This editor is pretty good. Yeah. What should he charge? You have three options on how to charge here. Uh, I think you can charge per edit. You can charge per month or you can charge per hour, right? I think those are the three options that I would go in. I would probably go with per edit and I would probably evaluate how long it takes you to do one of these edits. Like how intricate are these? Are you literally clipping stuff out and making it vertical or do you have to tell a story in these? Does it take you much longer to edit these than, than it would be to clip? So if you're a, if you're a true beginner editor, like I think the most helpful thing to do is throw out numbers and see how you react. So I will throw out a number to you. How does $25 an hour sound? If that's like, oh my God, I would never edit for $25 an hour, then evaluate and say, okay, if this takes me five hours, you know, okay, it's $25. Like, am I cool making 150 an edit? Am I cool making 200 an edit? Am I cool making 250 an edit? Uh, and if you're like, oh, okay, yeah, 250 an edit. And then you're like, he's going to give me three edits a month. Okay, great. Cool, I'm gonna make $750 a month on this side editing hustle. If that, if what I just said feels like, wait, I would never do that, then reevaluate and increase those prices. But start building off a base of doing a calculation. Open up a spreadsheet and say, 
okay, I'm going to edit five videos a month for him and I'm going to charge $300 and edit. Cool. That's $1,500 a month after taxes. This is how much it is. Is that worth it for me? Can I still do my work? Can I still make my income? I think that's how you have to evaluate, but you got to start putting numbers on paper and looking at it. And the best way to know if the numbers are right for you is evaluating your ins and outs of your life. How much money do you spend every month and how much money is coming in every month? And do you have, you know, a profit? Are those matching? What's your goal? You know, is it just to meet, match whatever's going out of your bank account and whatever's coming in? That's a good way to start, but you got to start throwing some numbers out to, to feel like, you know, to feel it and feel like if that's how much you want to charge. You can obviously ask other people for a market rate, but I don't think like, I think you have to evaluate this yourself and you have to say like, would I do this if I'm not getting paid? Would I do this just for experience? Like, what are you, what are you, are you optimizing just for the cash? Um, there's so many factors that you have to value for yourself, but I'll start this conversation with saying, would you do this at $150 an edit? You know, would you do this at $25 an hour and work your work yourself up from there? One option is you could say, I need a guaranteed amount of edits. So if you say, I'm going to do 100, 150 an edit, you could say, I need five edits a month guaranteed. So that's my guaranteed rate. Now you have a monthly rate. That's also nice too, when you're benchmarking against your expenses, like you were mentioning. Yeah. I feel like for me, there were some jobs that I did for free because they were worth it for me to learn and to build a portfolio but then there were others where I knew it was for money and it was all about covering my rent. My rent was always my benchmark of like, can I just rent plus utilities? What do I need to do to get to that amount? And so I feel right. like whether it's like, you know, 150 per video and then you need five, you know, whatever it is, like for me, that was always a helpful benchmark, but it is so dependent. Like it's going to change depending on really like what your motivations are for doing this. Yeah. Okay. On short form video, uh, I do want to bring up this, that came up in the Reddit from Keysight underscore Daniel. He said, posted a screenshot actually of a retention AVD, meaning like average view duration or sorry, average view percentage uh, AVP being 146% of a recent YouTube short. So he's saying, this feels like a silly number. What is going on? Uh, like what's happening? So the, the answer to this question is pretty simple. It's that people are watching it on loop. So essentially like people are watching it more than once, like, so it's more than a hundred percent. So we saw this anytime we intentionally looped one of our shorts, we saw a percentage that was like well over a hundred percent. So it's pretty simple. It's a great tactic on shorts to, to increase that retention. Um, but if you're looping like Dylan LeMay, who we mentioned uh, at the top of the episode, who does ice cream content, you can kind of never really tell where the beginning and end of his videos are. He starts filming them in the middle and then loops them. And that increases his average view percentage. And then that, you know, signals to the algorithm that it's a, it's a good video. All right. Not Milano. He says, how do I manage projects slash ideas better? Hey guys, as a solo freelance videographer and editor, who's Looking to start posting on my own channel, I find it hard to juggle various projects at once. I have a couple of my own videos that are in post-production phase, but new ideas and freelance work keeps popping up and taking priority. Is it as simple as dedicating certain days and times to focus on one project? Do I have to sit down and make a decision on what I actually need to prioritize? What helps you guys juggle different projects in different stages of the production process? Any insight on this is much appreciated. It is not an easy thing to do. Um... I got to take a look at Ryan Trahan's Notion and it is wildly organized and he has every video organized 
uh, video idea, thumbnail, and this is like well in advance of him making these videos. When he did his 30-day penny challenge, that was all mapped out in Notion before he even left. That was really impressive to me. Now, when I take a step back and talk about us, this is, I would say, one of our biggest challenges. I would say the thing that helps us the most is our team. We have an amazing production manager, Marilyn, who helps us organize and prioritize things. And we meet every morning as a team to make a list of priorities. But I, th I think like this is a challenge when you're a creative because it's more than just things that need to get done. It's the mental space to actually focus on them. And I, I think we've found that when you're switching from project to project to project, that transition time or that switching time is really hard on your creative mind. It's not super easy to go from this project to that project. So ideally, like for me this morning, I was writing. I just turned off my Wi-Fi, didn't get any inbound, no emails, didn't couldn't check Instagram, couldn't check anything and just wrote. So if I need to focus, that's what I do. But, you know, for us, we lean on our team to support us in making lists, prioritizing and discussing that as a team to figure out what's what's the priority for the week. Yeah. And I think the more that your projects vary, the harder it is to make timelines for them, to really manage them and stay on top of them. And I think that's why we have a lot of problems with it because we have a lot of different projects. Our videos are different from video to video. There's not too much consistency in terms of format. It could be an hour and a half long interview. It could be a 20 minute more video essay style podcast. And that gets difficult to, like Samir said, like move from thing to thing and transition, but also to understand your process super mm -hmm. cleanly. Whereas, you know, we were speaking with Cody Coe and Noel Miller and they were talking about how you know, for their show, they just show up on the same day at the same time, they sit down, they record, and then it's out on a certain day. Like they can guarantee that the process is going to be the same pretty much every single time. Yeah. Right. And so that makes it easier to manage when you're making the same thing every time. That's why you have like an assembly line when it comes to making things so that you can have less variables and more constants. And I think that's something to think about as well is when you look at what you're making, can you minimize the amount of variables you have and just try and come up with what are the constants across all of your projects that you can sort of have a little bit more assurance around how much time they take? I think in this context, as a freelancer, that's that's hard to do. If you have this many projects, hiring a project manager is 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 a great option. If you can't do that, put them in Notion. You know, like I think just put where they are and get really disciplined about updating that. Do it every night and be like, okay, where is this project? Where is it not? If you can hire a team, the thing that we've been talking about a lot is like, how do you specialize your team to own certain projects, styles, processes? Um, but yeah, if you if you have the space for it, this is where team comes into play. If, you're, if you start to juggle projects, like this is where a team can support you. Other than that, there's a lot of productivity tools. Watch some Ali Abdal videos. He talks about productivity and organization all the time. So check that out and explore Notion. All right. Well, if you have more questions for us, you can always head to the Reddit. And it's not only a place for questions, Colin. The Reddit community has also started something called Tear It Up Friday. How about that? Yeah. Tear It Up Friday. What a delight to see Tear It Up Friday emerge. Our first series of the Reddit where every Friday people share the videos that they've made. And like you know, the title says, people then go in and tear them up and give them feedback which is great. And there's some rules around it. You have to comment and provide feedback on at least two other videos before you can post your own, which I love. Super cool. 
Yeah, I love that. This like yeah. self-governance of our Reddit is like the coolest thing and that they have series and ideas. Self-governance. Like, are we heading are we heading towards crypto land? Dow Town? Oh, uh, we're not heading to Dow Town. We're we're heading <laughs> to like a tyrannical government uh, with our mods <laughs> taking over this land that is now our Reddit. So if you aren't there yet, it's a great place to hang out. But head to our Reddit, r slash Colin and Samir. And we will be back next week with an interview with Reed, who is Mr. Beast's manager. It's a fascinating conversation about the world of Mr. Beast and some untold stories about the early days of Jimmy's upstart YouTube channel. I ran out of steam there, but you know what I'm yeah, talking about. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, all right. We get it. We'll see you next week. Woo!